beloved, you are now tuned in to Three Black Men, a podcast by three black men where we talk about theology, culture, and the world around us. The following content may not be suitable if you ain't real enough. Listener discretion is advised because real recognize real. Here's the hope when we look familiar. Beloved, let me tell you, pretty much every time we sit down to have a conversation, I'm blessed by something or someone. I leave with some nugget that makes my life better. And that goes doubly so for any time we have a guest on this podcast. And today is no different. So on this episode, we have Sheila Wise Rowe, who is the author of Healing Racial Trauma, The Road to Resilience. And her newest book, the book that she actually came on to discuss, Young, Gifted, and Black, A Journey of Lament and Celebration. Now, we do talk about this book on this episode, but we cover so much ground and she pours out so much wisdom from the breadth of her experience. And if y'all are even half as blessed by this discussion as I was, then I know you'll be in a hurry to go ahead and buy this new book, Young, Gifted, and Black, A Journey of Lament and celebration. Without any further ado, let's go ahead and get into this conversation. Almighty God, we thank you that you are the God who has promised to never leave us nor forsake us, and that you are therefore present with us through the joy and through the lament in every step of the journey. We thank you that you are with us in our high places and in the valleys, even the valley of the shadow of death. So God, help us to make us aware of your presence to the end that we might not despair when there is time to lament. Help us to remember our whole stories, not whitewashing anything for anybody else's comfort, but remembering that it is in the wholeness of the journey, through lament and through celebration, that your presence is seen and made known. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. Hey, everybody. Welcome back to the podcast. My name is Robert. My name is Sam. And I'm Trey. And we are three Black men. (laughs) And we are joined by a special guest. And hey, we only have the best uh, guest on the podcast, and we have the the wonderful writer, speaker. <laughs> we have Sheila Wise Rowe. Welcome. Hi. Thank you. Thank you. Glad to be here. I'm glad Hi. you could join us today. Yeah. yeah. Yes. <laughs> yeah. Hey. Thank you for joining us on our conversation today. And we're going to be talking about your new book, um, your latest book, Young, Gifted, and Black, A Journey of Lament and Celebration. So we're excited. We're excited. Yeah. Yeah. So um, before we dive into that exploration, I wanted to start with 
just a little bit about you, your background, mm -hmm. and who you are, and what's important to you. So just give us just a taste of who you are and yeah, what you do. Yeah. Wow. So um, my story is a long saga <laughs> of um, being Black, Black African-American growing up in Boston. Um, parents are from the South. Um, I talk a lot in my former book, Healing Racial Trauma, about my busing experience mm. um, and just the impact that that had on me in terms of how I saw myself. Um, and it followed me all the way through to college um, where there really was a challenge in terms of moving forward and, you know, where is God in my life? How does that fit? And I wasn't a believer throughout college, high school. I didn't become a Christian until after college. Um, but at that point, I really sensed like this turn in, in terms of really delving into counseling and mental health and um, helping people to navigate that. So I spent decades and decades, like close to 30 years practicing um, counseling, uh, individual counseling group. I'm a, I was a licensed marriage and family therapist. Uh, in 2005, we moved to South Africa, so Johannesburg. And so um, we also, pri prior to that, did a like a six month stint and lived in Paris, France. Um, but we spent 10 years in South Africa from 2005 to 2016. And uh, my work there focused on working with uh, abused and homeless um, women and children and uh, opened a residence for them and then a day program, a college access program. And um, we were, uh, it was a nonprofit in South Africa. It was connected to a church also that we were attending. And, um, and I would say that, that those 10 years, um, although I really saw the Lord move in a lot of ways uh, prior to that in my work in Boston primarily um, and a little bit in France, but it was really that time of being in, in Africa. And South Africa in so many ways mirrors the US and just how their experience and the realities that apartheid fell in 1994. I mean, that's insane. That was that recent. And so a lot of what they experience and even are experiencing right now mirror a lot of what as an African-American experience. And so um, just that sense of, of seeing their journey, our journey, what is reconciliation really look like on the ground apart from the myths about it. So there's so much mirroring between there and here. Um, and what does healing look like when you've been in this situation where you have had the boot on your neck like for decades and decades? And, um, and so what does freedom look like now? Um, how, do, how do women particularly um, become uh, empowered to really dream and to... So we were able to get funding from the US for some women to go to college. So some have gotten their college degrees, some got training, I got me funding. So they got training in beauty um, and uh, all manner of like, type, like cooking, and then being able to use that to as a stepping stone to get a job, um, as well as dealing with the emotional issues that they were carrying. There's so much trauma there um, and, and fear, um, a lot of issues with women um, and uh, patriarchy. Um, and so uh, that really shaped a lot of that and my prior 
experiences really shaped who I am. It really informs um, where I, I've seen God literally show up. And, and South Africa was that too, like in, in miraculous ways. Um, and that kind of was flowing through the books that I've written, the two books that I've written so far. So that's kind of me in a nutshell. I do, I've, my husband uh, is an academic and uh, we have two adult children. Yes, Amen. Uh, it's, it, I, I kind of wanted to interject here uh, for one second, sorry, Trey. It's, it's interesting that you mentioned um, your, your other book, Healing, one of your other books, Healing Racial Trauma. Yeah. Uh, and I read that book. <laughs> I love that book. <laughs> and I thought what was so powerful in that book was how I could see your work in counseling, spiritual formation and direction, yeah. Yeah. theology, mm-hmm. all of that flowing together. And I read it in the midst of the racial uprisings of 2020 mm-hmm. and beyond. Yeah. And so much uh, racial upheaval. And mm-hmm. I would just love a word from you and some thoughts from you of, of just where you see our country yeah. headed. Yeah, and just your <laughs> thoughts. And yeah. Because I, I think yeah. your gift mix and your particular trainings mm-hmm. is so unique, right? You have this theological piece, this mm-hmm. racial reconciliation piece mixed with counseling and theology and all of these different cool yeah. mixture writings. Mm-hmm. So even before we get to this latest yeah. book, it's like yeah. you have all of these different dynamics yeah. that give you this unique perspective that is just so beautiful to me. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So I would love to, to hear what you think of the country now. Um, yeah. yeah. Um, you know, I've just, and I've said this in other interviews, but coming back to the U.S. in 2016 was like, what? <laughs> um, and and so people, you know, it's so funny. People think America is like the center of the universe. So, you know, when I'm living in South Africa, we were living there. We were living there. And so the U.S. was kind of like, that's the U.S., but what's going on around us? So to come back and just kind of have this, like, wow it just really felt like all of the filters were off. Everything was just like cra- craziness. Like I, I encountered craziness in the stores. It was just, uh, I thought, okay, what occurred that and clearly we, we know what occurred, um, but that all of the filters are off. And, and you could say to a certain degree, well, this was always there, but there was a viciousness about things. Um, there was an angry, Kind of, and, 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 and a lot of it's fueled by fear. And I think that's when I, when I look at the country right now, I see a lot of fear and anger and there's justifiable anger and there's justifiable fear and concern. I get that. Um, what is different is this whole thing with white folk who um, are, that's what's fueling this is fear. This, this whole replacement thing, that, that's fueling this. And um, I think the, the challenge is what, it's not even what do we do about it as black people, what, what do white people need to do about this? And, you know, this whole thing of, you know, they're white folk who are checking in with their black friends and saying, well, how are you doing? You know, particularly after what happened with Buffalo and, um, 
the reality is white people, what are they doing? They should be sackcloth ashes, you know, rending their garments because of the reality that that man, that 18 year old, I'm gonna call him a man, we call everybody else a man. So that 18 year old man, a teenager, a man went and he did this for you as a white person. He did this for you. He thought I'm gonna save the white race. And so he did this for you. And if you are not feeling that, you're like, I don't agree with it or whatever, you should be in an uproar because he did it for you as a white person. And so I feel like there's a way in which in this country, there has to be this reckoning with history, um, this whole CRT nonsense, you know, as a diversion of we're not, it's all about that. It's about covering, it's about fear. Um, it is, you know, not wanting to look at the past, which is totally not biblical. Um, and so it's, and it's not healthy either. <laughs> it really isn't. It's not emotionally healthy to not look at the past. It's not, you look at the past, you wallow in it. That's not what we're saying. We're saying you need to own the past, own your ancestors' responsibility in, in that, own the fact that, you know, what repair needs to happen. So, you know, you steal somebody's house, you make them work for nothing. There's repair, that's true. It's not, this is not rocket science. There's repair and that's biblical. And, and so, I feel like we're at the the big C church is at this moment where we've got to decide what are we going to, who are we siding with? Is it the Lord or is it empire? What is it? Because there, this denialism is only going to fuel more, more hatred, more anger, more rage, more. And I, I frankly feel like, you know what, we're, we're held accountable. You know, I feel like in this country, um, the damage that has been done, there's accountability for that. It's like the blood is crying out from the soil. It, is, it has to be addressed. It has to be. And we can't, we can think that um, if we just don't look at it, it's gonna go away. It's not gonna go away. It's not gonna go away. So I, you know, am I hopeful? I don't know. I think after these last two weeks, I'm like, I don't know, Jesus, come back. I don't know. I just, I feel like though, I want to try to identify, well, who are the people who can really be challenged, who really are open to change? And that's across the board. It's not just white people, it's everybody, like who are willing to really look at the, the truth um, and, and trying to align with those and support those um, folk. Because if I've spent, you know, tons of time trying to convince people, white people particularly, that, you know, Black Lives Matter or that, I, you know, there are people who don't want to be convinced. And so I personally would rather spend my time with people who, even if they're curious and they want to learn and they're just baby steps, I, I'd rather focus on that. Um, and I feel like our voices have to be louder than the voices that are about, you know, anti-CRT, like who cares about CRT? The person on the ground is not even thinking about CRT. People in the hood are not thinking about CRT. We're not. We know the realities that systemic racism exists. Right. We're not making that up. Like we know it. We all, everybody here I'm sure has a story. We all have a story about how we, our lives, our families' lives have been impacted by systemic racism. I certainly have. So I'm prayerful. 
um, and that's the only way that I can be hopeful is prayerful that um, that something shifts in everyone to to make change. Um, but you know, I think at the end of the day, we've got to decide: are we going to do something about this? And we can pray that the Lord is like, okay, uh, you got hands, feet, you do something. So, yeah, I'll stop there. <laughs> Amen. Amen. You speak in my language right now, and I love it. <laughs> I love it. I love it. Um, so, one of the things that I really appreciated in reading about you and and reading the excerpt of of Younger Than Black, which we'll get to later, but um, about your background, particularly as it pertains to being a, a a therapist and a counselor um, is the way that you speak about healing because I recently um, heard from a scholar who is disabled by the name of Amy Kenny um, and she presented this paradigm that made me rethink about my concept of healing and how a lot of the, the the theology and the way we think about healing is actually ableist right and we present healing in a way that makes it seem as though people who are permanently disabled or chronically ill are beyond the reach of God in some ways. Yeah. But the way that you spoke about it, even um, in your time in your ministry and in your, in your service uh, in South Africa, about all of the resources that you poured into getting people training and education in various fields and everything. And then in addition to that, giving them resources and mental health and everything, painted a picture of healing. And one of the words that you mentioned a couple of times um, was repair, yeah. right? Um, and how healing isn't so much a matter of curing an ailment as it is like repairing something yeah. that was breached or something that yeah. was broken, right? Because yeah. it's two different things we're talking about, whether or not like your body functions differently to somebody, that's that's different. Sometimes that's curable, sometimes it's not. But healing refers to repairing a breach. Yeah. And there are times when people are born into into breached situations that that are way no we can actually trace this back we can identify yeah. that there was a transgressor and a transgressee and yeah. and we can heal from that right um yeah. it's, it's kind of like I, I tore my uh patellar tendon on christmas day mm -hmm. and they had to go in and repair that 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 rupture and while I'm not cured, I realized recently, I had to sit with this, that my knee is never going to be the same as it once yeah, was, yeah. but I could be healed to get to a, a place where I can function, where Absolutely. I can be brought back to, to, yeah. to all of this. And so um, I bring that up to say that I feel as though, um, because I noticed this even in reading the excerpt and everything, that you don't tend to bifurcate. You bring all of your insights as somebody who's worked in the field of health. Yeah. right mental health but health for over 30 years of all this experience yeah. and somebody who very much believes in the risen jesus and, and the power of the spirit yeah. to bring all of these things together yeah and i say all that it is not so much a question but even in just now you spoke of hope and how that's fleeting or that's mm -hmm. me putting words in your mouth but you described especially over the past couple of weeks with all of the tragedies that we're being bombarded yeah. with um, and, and, and so I wanted to say that your words, your work, your testimony have helped me to maintain a hope, um, not in that things can be cured, right? Because I don't, I don't, I don't know if there's any way, like, I think that things are functioning here as they've always meant to be. I don't know if we can cure that, but we can 
discover and unearth some breaches that can be healed Absolutely. by the power of the spirit. And um, I, I get it. Um, for that reason, I'm excited uh, about this conversation that we're having here because right now I feel as though I'm being ministered to by you and your witness totality. So thank you, thank you, thank you. You know, I think the thing too about healing and that one thing having had that length of time in and really journeying with people that healing is a journey and it's often like a figure eight it's like we cycle in and out of things and things that we thought oh i dealt with that like i thought early on like oh i've dealt with my father only later to realize ah there's another layer here <laughs> gonna travel around that eight again and and to get to the point where um i really could fully release him and forgive him um that and even the process of forgiving the cruelty that I experienced in growing up and going through busing, that it took time. And that's the thing is this that that level of being patient with yourself. I have this friend who constantly says, stay in the story. Stay in the story of your life. Wow. Like too often we want to check out. We're just like, ah, I don't like this chapter, I'm done, or I want to skip ahead, but staying present to this the story. And that healing story is one of, you know what, you know, as old folks say, including me, <laughs> you know, God didn't bring us this far to leave us, you know, he didn't teach us to swim to let us drown, you know, like, ultimately, there is a journey that we're on, and it's going to take time to heal and it's baby steps. And sometimes it's two steps forward and three steps back, but we're, we are still moving forward. So in that way, I am hopeful. And it's not, it's not I'm hopeful in the country. But I'm hopeful, really, that he who is beginning to work in me and in you and in all of us is faithful to complete that work. And so that's where my hope is. It's in, it's in God and what he's doing, even when I don't even see it, even if I don't even believe it, he's still at work. Hey, yeah. man, somebody that tuned into the podcast, they didn't got some therapy, they didn't got a sermon, and you ain't <laughs> they even got blessed. <laughs> better put the cash app in there for the billable hours right now. <laughs> right. My bad, Sam, go ahead. No, uh, so when you were introducing, you said something that really, I mean, you said a few things that stuck out, but <laughs> um, you you mentioned, um, or you sort of asked the rhetorical question, what does freedom look like? Um, and even in the healing process, one of the things that me going through therapy that I had to come to grips with um, was like, what does healing look like, right? What I don't know um, what my, what, in a lot of situations, I don't know what I would like the end result to be. Yeah. Um, just because of present hurt or whatever, it's hard to look past some of those things and be like, yeah, I'd love for this to be reconciled, but mm, yeah. do I really want to, you know? Uh, yeah. So um, I think that for me has been um, a really walk, a, 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 um, a walk and a struggle. Um, and I think a lot of people uh, have to reckon with that as well, as far as like, what would that look like? Um, yeah. I was reading through, uh, well, I, I just read through it again, um, Pro Propaganda's book, uh, Terraform, and one of the things he talked about was if you read the book of Daniel and you see how Daniel moved, he basically lived in an environment that was hostile to his body, right? right. That environment was hostile to this very being, um, yeah. and I sort of relate to that. Uh, living in America, I mean, we can see in Buffalo, like, just being Black in America, yeah. um, existing we live in an environment that's very, it's hostile to, our, to the very core and nature of who we are. Um, and that's taken a lot of different tolls. So trying to figure out like, well, what does, 
what would reconciliation look like? What does freedom look like? What does healing look like in these different situations? Um, I'm really grateful to have people like you um, that have so much experience, that have so much knowledge and wisdom in different areas um, that can help sort of shine some light in that. Because even when I was reading this excerpt of this book, I text, I text Rob and Trey last night. I was like, yo, um, I feel like she's strumming my pain with her fingers and singing my life <laughs> with her song. <laughs> Uh, because there was some stuff and I was just like, yo, okay. Um, and it's it's not not necessarily things that I didn't know. Uh, like you said, healing is sort of like a figure eight. And so you, you sort of go back through them again. And so some of those things were just like, <sighs> yesterday was really emotional. Um, just sort of going back through the book again. It brought back some emotions of a lot of different things. Um, but they're things that I welcome because I want to work out what healing looks like, what freedom would look like, because how else can I be um, who I need to be for my, for my kids, for my wife, you know, uh, even for me, right? Um, how else can I be the that and, and walk in what God has called me to do if I don't have any sort of um, vision, right, of what I want or what could be? Uh, so I like this is more more so just like an appreciation of um, just your work and dedication um, and love for people uh, more than anything. <laughs> you know sure. what the one thing I want to say to you and to your audience as well is that so often we are and, and vision is important. So we'll quote the scripture without a vision. The people you know cast off strength and etc. Yes, but I I really feel like. God gives us every single day, they're like little breadcrumbs of vision, little moments where you see like, wow, that's the person that I wanna be. That's the person I am actually in this moment. Like I, and that's to build upon that. And that's that's what gives us hope is that, but I think we, we're so like looking forward to this moment where everything is all together and I'm totally healed and I'm totally what I think I should be. Um, versus, you know, not despising small beginnings, not, you know, like we're like, be present in that, be present in those small victories where, because that's where the learning happens. And that's where if you pay attention to those small things and you realize, you know what, I want to do more of that. I want to do more of that. I want to do more of that moment where I have this special moment with my kid. I'm playing. Um, this would just it's joy, it's laughter. Like, I wanna be that kind of father who does that too. Not 90% not, no, disciplinarian and then 10% that. Like, I want to be more of that. So I'm gonna be intentional about that because that little moment showed you, you have it in you. <laughs> you have it in you to do it. So it's not like you gotta somehow grow into it. Like you did it and you can do more of it. Yeah, you know, with God's grace and help. Yes, man. I love that. Yes, I, man. I love that. I, um, I, I wanted to ask, uh, you know, looking at the book, I wanted. I love asking this of authors. Uh, I wanted to ask, as you were writing this book, yeah. um, well, one, two things. Why did you entitle this book? what you did and then to what was in your mind as you were visualizing as you were writing the book right so yeah so those two things <laughs> so what was in your heart um, 
who are you trying to reach? Um, yeah. Yeah. I, I think, I, you know, I lay this out in like the early, the first chapter and that one of the things that I've noticed is that um, now I'm speaking as someone who's, you know, been engaged in therapy in multiple settings. Like I've worked in public schools. I've worked with at-risk kids. I've worked in um, mental health facilities. I have worked private practice. Um, I've worked in the hospital settings. So um, I have a wide range of experience. And what I did notice coming off of my book, Healing Racial Trauma, was that there was a, there was a demographic that I felt like were kind of falling through the cracks in a way that, um, so the whole title Young, Gifted and Black comes from Nina Simone's song um, in which she talks about there are billions of young, gifted and black folk. That's absolutely true. And it's not just academically, it's all sorts of ways. And so, but I felt like there's this population that um, seems to be all right, <laughs> seems to be doing well um, and, and so it's easy not to see, not to see what did folk endure, what are they enduring, whether it's younger adults, um, older ones. Uh, I've had many people at various ages look at the book and go, wow. Older people looking at it and going, it's not, this book wasn't written for me, but that's me. That's my story when I was in grammar school. Um, there are younger, you know, Gen Zs and millennials who look at it and go, well, this is me now. Um, but one theme was that there was a way in which there had to be a sense of like, I have to perform. I've got to be perfect in some way. I've, um, I, I, I'm hurting because I'm experiencing all sorts of things and racism being one of those things. But there's also family dysfunction stuff that's happening. Um, there's peer, peer pressure, issues with peers and mental health struggles, all of those things. So we're not like one, one theme. It's not just all about race. It's all about like, how do we examine our whole life and examine you know, how does all of that impact us? Um, and as someone who looks on the outside like, oh, they're doing fine. Um, and then only later to see really tragedies. I mean, there've been a number of them um, recently where there are pe high profile people like excelling. It's like, oh, and she's, you know, Miss America, she's a lawyer, she's, or he's, um, you know, up and coming artist. And, and yeah, there's a private pain and there's a struggle that either they, had, you know, there's been difficulty around that over years, um, around getting help, around um, really knowing that they're loved regardless of what it is that they do. Um, and so it was really, it was really a love letter to, to black millennials and younger adults that, you know, they are seen that their whole lives matter um, and that the embracing of that whole lament and celebration, which is the tagline of this, is that that is our, our lives are all characterized by that. Um, and if it's so focused on everybody looking at that person and going, look at what they're doing, they're amazing. It's like celebration, celebration. Yet we want to know the whole person. And we, we all need to embrace our whole life. And we're the places where we need help um, to be able to reach out and get help. 
Uh, and so it's an encouragement on that level as well. And so in the sharing of these stories in the book, it really is about, you know, looking at, and I've had people say, oh, you know, it's Terrence who reminds me of me or, um, you know, an activist, but Shanaika, that's, that's me. I get that, that like drivenness for activism um, to the point that it, it could easily lead to burnout. Um, and so that's, that's was the impetus for it. And, um, and just that they're seeing that they're loved again without doing anything. Yeah, I really appreciated this book because already like in chapter one, just the portion that, that I read um, in, in the excerpt, you explicitly state who you're writing this book for, right? Like you say black millennials in, in a certain category and, and that's me. So I read the book and I'm like, oh snap, she's talking to me. Yeah. <laughs> and even as um, you're talking about all of the joy and the celebration, because that's true. I, I feel that I recognize that there's a lot of ways that I'm easy to celebrate. Like I, I live a life where it's easy for my mother to be proud of me. I went, yeah. I got the degrees, I have a beautiful family, all these things. I got, I got a job that a lot of people would respect and all of those things. But then there's the underside of all of the, the things and all, all, all of the stresses that I carry because of that, yeah. like the student loan debt that I carry. Now I had to figure out whether oh, yeah. or not uh, I'm going to start a college fund for my kids or whether or not we're going to buy a house and all of these other things. Yeah. And, and, and the, the hurdles that even you hopefully I'm not giving away too much now, but you open the first <laughs> chapter with a, with a uh, Chadwick Bozeman quote. And yes. um, the, the, the first chapter is called the starting line. And I'm like, wow, I'll imagine what my life would be like if I didn't have to start from all the way back here to get to where I am. Yeah. Would I still yeah. be as exhausted? Would I still feel right. this way? Would I, would I be able to hold that? And the fact that you let off and in that tagline with both joy and lament yeah. made me feel seen in a way that I didn't know that I anticipated being mm. seen because a lot of times we feel like it's an either or thing. Like we're right. either going to be right. happy-go-lucky people all the time yeah. or right. we're going to wallow in depression nonstop. Yeah. But the fact of the matter is that life is a combination of all of the above. Like that's where our humanity exists. Yeah. So the fact that you, because you said young, gifted, and black, and I immediately thought of the, the Nina Simone song and all of that mm. stuff. But then there's the tagline of a journey of joy and lament. And so I appreciate the fact that you with all of your expertise and experience and everything have made it perfectly known um, through this book and through this project that yes, you are young, gifted and black, but life is still the journey and it comes with Absolutely. all of the above. Um, and, and, and I say all of that to say that I don't know if that was your goal, but if your goal was to make somebody like me feel seen and known in that way and to be affirmed in that yeah. way, then hey, man, uh, yeah. Yeah, <laughs> you did a good job. <laughs> absolutely, absolutely, and that—that that is the end goal. I think that you know, I look at like even with um Katanji Brown Jackson, like people, you, you know, do we really know what she had to endure to get to that place? Whoa, I, I think that probably close to the end of her life when she actually writes the book, we'll know. But you know, we can all—we've all had those experiences where, you know, just as you said, Trey, like there was so much that is beyond the celebration part that, that we've endured. Um, and so that needs to be recognized as well, absolutely. One of the things that I really appreciated about this book is because like Trey said, um, it, it, he, it was for him, right? But it's also for me. 
Uh, you mentioned Black people not being a monolith, and we're not, because Trey and I have two different stories, completely different stories, yeah. right? Trey has a college degree. Like, I'm married with kids and all that, but I don't, I mean, I'm a convicted felon. Like, I've, I'm different, right? Um, but reading this, uh, and, and especially when I got to um, the great, great expectations and then the rules of engagement, that's really what made me emotional. Um, mm. because there was a lot in there where I saw um, the deficiency. I don't know if that's the right word that I want to use, but I'm going to use it there. I'm gonna, that, we, we're going to use that word as a placeholder. Yeah, <laughs> the deficiency yeah. in like um, how my needs were met as a child growing up. Right. Um, I didn't have, like you, um, is it okay if I read a piece? Of, no, yes, go okay. ahead. Go ahead. <laughs> um, okay, uh, so um Oh, wait a minute. Let me find it first. Uh, okay. So you talk, you say uh, that there are, we want people, many of us had adult, significant adults in our lives who are positive influences, yet we've also faced visible and invisible lines of barriers uh, or barriers and dysfunction in and outside of our homes. Some of us wish adults would have asked us how we were doing. We needed explanations about what was happening to us and around us. And then this is the part that I really I highlight and, and underline. Uh, we wanted to feel less alone with our thoughts and the fragments of misinformation streaming through our head. Um, yeah. So, um, yeah, that made that that part made me emotional. And then uh, the rules of engagement, which I want to get to later. But um, I didn't have parents that would. Um, show an interest or concern beyond what they thought was necessary to be told or for me to know or um I don't even think I'm wording this right um I mean like th there was the there was the concern right um but not everybody has um people don't know what they don't know right so um there are areas uh in which growing up where I had some deficient areas as far as like what I needed. And some of that would have been that like um, to be made to feel comfortable with what was going on, that it was normal, um, that there's nothing wrong with me, um, but I just got to learn how to process and cope with different things. Those things weren't explained to me as um, as a child. And, and I basically kind of had to learn, um, learn that as, I went along um and I you know raised in a two-parent household my raised in church right my mom yeah. was a musician minister of music dad was a cop mm -hmm. for 25 years he's retired now like came from a great home but just people don't know what they don't know right. uh, and so one of the things that I really appreciated about this is there these are things that I'm also reckoning with right now as we speak yeah. but also it brings light to remind me like how I can interact with my children better and give them what I didn't have absolutely yeah um so and then like the rules of engagement I didn't realize how much <laughs> I was living by those like I was reading these and I was like okay you know um I guess I, I read books and I don't necessarily expect to uh, catch strays <laughs> <laughs> um and I don't realize how much I've lived my life by these rules of engagement um and breaking free from those has been so difficult uh, and I think a lot of people will be so surprised when they read I'm not gonna read these rules of engagement because I want people to get the book and read these rules of engagement 
Um, but what I will share is the last line underneath there at the, at the bottom of the page, it says, no, um, basically you, you go on and say like the rules of engagement, they're harmful, mm. right? And how we've been engaging, um, they're detrimental even, right? To our development, to our relationships, to our community. Um, because we don't realize, and then you go on to say, we don't realize the Lord offers us unmerited and unearned love and favor. Yeah. Um, and whether I don't, and maybe, you know, Trey and Rob can like chime in on their experience, but I didn't always feel like love and favor was unmerited and unearned. Yeah. Um, so to have these reminders um, that you shouldn't have to earn like you don't have to earn that love and that favor from God. It's there, but also, yeah. you don't like. This was a reminder for me to like, yo, um, get get back on track, get it together. Like there were some areas, you know, that you kind of poked at. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? So I I, I really appreciate that. This book is gonna bless a lot of you. It's already blessed me uh, in a little bit that I've read. So I appreciate you so much, man. Thank you, thank you. Well, well, yeah, yeah that's. I know I gave a lot. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) I know I just gave a lot there. Um, Yeah. Yeah. I, uh, I'm, I'm curious. Uh, I mean, unless you had a follow-up to that Samuel or Sheila, um, I had a question. Can I just say one thing about the rules of engagement too, and that they are detrimental, but the reality is, you know, Sam, you're right. In the absence of having information, and so, so many of us didn't get that. I didn't get it. And I talked about that in the book. I didn't, I didn't know what was going on with my parents. I didn't know, you know, I didn't know what I could actually say about what I was experiencing with busing. Cause I thought like most kids, like I, my parents want this for me. So I must be, it has to be okay. Even though I wasn't feeling it. Um, and so we do what we can do. We do Um, And so I don't want to put like a blanket judgment on what a kid does. A kid is going to do what they need to do to survive emotionally in whatever form that is. And so these rules of engagement or following the rules um, and, you know, following a certain prescribed role is, is a survival mechanism. It's a way in which like we, in order to live in this family or in this community or in, you know, attend this particular church, this is how I've got to behave. I've got to respond. But the thing is that as you grow older, you, you know, you're not no longer a child. And so walking in adulthood and really owning, like, like respecting that that's what you had to do and that's okay. So give yourself some self-compassion that you had to do that when you were young, because you didn't have the tools, you were not emotionally mature, you didn't have what you needed. So now you're an adult and you have an array of resources that you can choose to grab hold of or not, but you don't have to live in that place anymore. Like you can get free. Are you are you are you still practicing? Are you ta- are you taking clients right now? <laughs> no, <I'm> right. <laughs> All right. I'm not. I'm not. Yeah. 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 But I, you know, we were, I'm actually looking at exploring like some online stuff. Um, Like uh, courses, my husband and I've done a lot of stuff together. So we'll see. We'll see. I'll let you know. (laughs) We're praying. (laughs) Exactly. I think um, what I'm sitting with and what I want to ask you is the three words, young, gifted, black, and, um, 
And what I'm sitting with is even your choice to use Chadwick Boseman at the front of the first chapter. And the pressure that many, you know, Black young people feel to be gifted, right? Young people feel this pressure to be on, to be gifted, to be excellent in all things. And I guess I'm curious from you as an author, how aware you were of using Chadwick as an embodiment of those things at the front of your book, Um, because he's kind of the epitome of those things that a lot of us were looking to, and I think why he resonated in our community so much and why his death meant so much to us, right? And I think why the grief hit so many of us, right? And you talk, you using Black Panther, I think hit me right away, right? Because I think for young people, Chadwick was larger than life. And so I'm curious as to your thoughts about that. And if you saw any of that, and, you know, as a superhero, Black Panther was larger than anything we could have thought was possible. So just I'm curious as to your thoughts on Young, Gifted, and Black, and then how that, how you saw that with Chadwick Boseman. Yeah, yeah. Um, You know what, he, Chadwick's said that he referenced the song in his uh, acceptance speech and and in the interview that was afterwards and and it really struck me like he it was beyond just his role in Black Panther or even as an actor but that was his story and and he talked about how that was the story of the others who were in them in the film as well that they was, there was this striving to produce something. And even in the face of barriers, I talk a lot about barriers in the book, like there was a perseverance that, that occurred um, that had to, to be in the midst of that. And I think that Chadwick, um, just so much respect for, for him, his life, his character. I mean, just an amazing, amazing person. Um, I feel at the in and I do reference this a little bit later on when he was ill, we didn't know. We didn't know. And so in, in many ways, it's kind of similar to some of us that, you know, we're we're excelling, et cetera, but there's a part that is tucked away. And, and we can say that, that, you know, there are various reasons why he may have done that. But at the end of the day, we were not able to embrace him And the fullness of everything that he was experiencing, and he had he was had to be so much for us that we couldn't be for him. And I feel like if we had known, we all would have just like rallied around him, and supported him, and championed him. And I, I understand the need for privacy and all of that. I get that, um, but I feel like it mimics some of our our own stories. Of will we be transparent about what's happening? Um, he had to endure a lot of people projecting onto him. You know, he's losing weight and people saying, well, he's, you know, he's an addict, um, you know, all sorts of things. Um, and so, but he, he stood firm and just continued to persevere in his craft and creating excellent, excellent works. But I just feel like uh, I, would, I would love to have known and to be able to pray for him. And do you think... Yeah sorry to interject do you think there's a part of the young gifted and black 
that can't show that vulnerability? Um, I don't think can't is the word. I think that um, there hasn't or really won't. been. I don't think there's invitation. I think that wow. we're now just wow. coming out of this pandemic that we're getting the invitation to actually. Wow. Don't get me to cry. Wow. I don't think prior to that, I think as far as the black community, like our community has had stigma around mental health and not wanting to deal with it. And just like, just pray, you know, and you know, it's gonna go away just magically. Um, but out of the pandemic, we're realizing like, wow, you know what we need help. We need other people to speak into our lives to help walk us through these places of pain. So, yeah, I think, I, I don't think it is won't. I think, I think we're not, we're, we're just now getting invitations to do that. That's um, a and we're having, yeah, Ladies. and we're, yeah. yeah. <laughs> Thank you. No, <laughs> thank you. You preaching on this. I don't Maybe. even know what this podcast is now. Man. Even... <laughs> yeah. yeah, no, so yeah. We, we just released an episode on therapy. Yep. All three of us are actively engaged in, in the process of yeah. therapy, the process and the practice of therapy. And what you mentioned about that stigma, I've really been sitting with that a lot because of course you get comments here and there or like, oh, we don't we don't really do that in, in terms of therapy. But more than that, the way I see it playing out often is that when you are open about this journey and about the vulnerabilities and about the soft places, people act as though you're exaggerating that you're imagining mm. or that you're even being trendy now, right? Yeah. Um, nowadays. And and I've realized that a lot of our society is predicated upon us pretending and performing as though Absolutely. we do not hurt. Absolutely. Absolutely. And as yeah. we grow more open about the fact that no, we're not always okay. Yeah. People yeah. get anxious around that because the moment we acknowledge that, like, no, I need a moment to breathe the machinery gets clogged up. It, it can't keep working anymore because yep. our society has from the very beginning, at least here right. in, in the United States and in, in, in our capitalist society, it's yeah. predicated upon uh, upon churning out bodies, right? Absolutely. Like it's always about the end. And so like you putting it in that framework and saying like, I don't know that we've ever had the invitation to be vulnerable like that um, puts a lot of things in perspective for me that, even going all the way back to the beginning of the episode, what does freedom look like? Yeah. Freedom looks like the invitation to not be okay. Absolutely. Yeah. <laughs> yep. Oh, um, and and yes. and that. So, thank, like, like Ross said, I don't even know what this podcast is no more because, uh, and and I haven't even read this whole book. I read the X. I'm about to go cop this thing because speaking to you for these uh, <laughs> 30, 40 minutes has blessed me. So I need need to get the rest of these words in my spirit, and y'all do too. Wow. You know what I think about Naomi Osaka and Simone Biles and both of those women, basically, in terms of the, the that wheel, that hamster wheel that we're supposed to all be on, like capitalist mm. hamster wheel, and I'm saying no, no, at great cost, money, prestige, identity, etc. No, I'm going to tend to my mental health. Like, I'm going to prioritize this. This is not a joke. This is my life. I'm going to stop. And I'm going to get the help that I need and come back when I'm ready to come back. And I just, I, I was blown away by those young women because I feel like they really 
did model something really powerful for all of us. Um, and, and many of us, you know, we're not on that level where, you know, we're raking in millions of dollars from a match, um, but we're just in our regular jobs and we think, you know what, we, you know, we, we, it's gonna cost us. Like it costs them a huge amount monetarily, but it, the cost of not dealing is so much greater. The cost physically, the cost emotionally, um, and particularly if you get the backdrop of, of all of our history, and then we're also, you throw racial trauma and racism, white supremacy on layered on top of that, we have to have a place where we're processing this stuff. It just is not, it just, it, it just remains as a toxin in our body um, and starts to affect our bodies and our minds. And so we have to, to stop and, and to get help we need. And it can be in various forms. And sometimes, a lot of times, yeah, therapy, absolutely. But there's other, there's, there's spiritual directors, there are pastors, um, there are even friends, you know, who um, there are peer counseling scenarios where it isn't counselor led. You know, some people are involved in like AA and SA and NA and, um, and those have been really powerful and supportive for them. So it's, where are the places? There are many different places. There are counselors online. There are counselors who meet uh, in person. And that's been an amazing thing that has come out of this whole pandemic, pandemic period. Yeah, is that you can, you can no longer have to say, well, there aren't any black therapists in Boston. It's like, oh, there's a black therapist and they're in Chicago. Right. You know, and I can sign up. So the availability is there. So I have, uh, I guess, one last question. Um, so this book is written to Black millennials. Um, what would you say, uh, what would you have to say to the Black millennial that, um, I don't want to say is waiting for that invitation, but it's sort of looking for that invitation um, that wants to, but doesn't. Maybe they don't know how. Um, I know as I began the process, there were I learned that there were things that I really couldn't articulate. Um, so what would you say to the black millennial who is young, black, and gifted? Mm -hmm. And they're looking for that invitation. They want the nut, like what would you say to them if you could give them some parting words? <laughs> yeah. Um, you know what? I I feel like, you know, before I talked about just being present in, in your life, but just being aware of the many ways, as I said, that help can be found. And it's taking that first step and really assessing like, who are the trustworthy people around you? You know, if you pay attention, you can see and hear who are the people who are trusted, because if somebody is not trusted, trusting trustworthy with somebody else's information, they're not gonna be trustworthy with yours. Let me just tell you straight up. So Boom. they're not someone you're gonna share your story with or your inner heart, you know, and your struggle and your pain with, because they're not, they're not trustworthy with it. And so who are the people around you? Um, and even if it is going online and taking that first step and signing up, you don't have to stay with a counselor. You can start, if you don't die, I don't care if it's that you don't, you don't like the fact that they, their hair is purple, whatever, you, it's your money. So if you don't feel like there's a click that you, this person feels like it's a safe space person for you to share your heart with, move on to the next one. But 
there are people online to support you. There are people in your communities to support you. And take a, a small step after you've looked and seen, is this person trustworthy? And you'll know pretty quickly whether somebody is open to really hearing their because they're also sharing their heart. That's the thing, is that the people, look for the people in your lives who are open, who are sharing their, if they can't share their struggle and their pain, they're not gonna be able to hold yours. They just aren't, they're not. And so look for those people. And, and it's so, so, it's so important. So it's an imperative. If you're moving forward and you're really wanting so much for your life to have people to walk with you, you know, and even a group of friends, please do that. Get those people around you. Um, and, and in terms of your faith community, same thing. If your church is able to, to support you, great. If it's not, where, where else is there spiritual support? You know, it, it may not be on your church. It may be online. It may be, um, you know, signing up with the spiritual director, but seek that out. talked about a new segment we're gonna talk about uh what's on the front burner some some things um that that uh we are excited about personally as as individuals and bringing that and sharing that with y'all yeah it's me again i hope you're not tired of me yet and if you are it's your own fault because you're listening to three black men and i'm one of them three black men but anyway on the front burner this week we got outside now no, it's easy to forget because we as a society seem to have entered into some unspoken agreement by which we pretend that we are no longer in the middle of a global pandemic. But I just checked the numbers and we are for sure still in the middle of a global pandemic, and especially at the beginning of this pandemic, when most of us were willing to agree and acknowledge that we were in a pandemic outside seemed like a dangerous place. That's what all the people was. You go outside, you might mess around and catch you something. And that is still the case when we don't practice things like masking and social distancing. But outside can also, when done safely and responsibly, be a place of refuge. And I found lots of safety outside. I found sanctuary outside. I find a way to connect with creation the same creation that this pandemic is in some ways distance us from. And so I'd like to encourage you, if you can do so safely in a socially distanced fashion, to get outside, pay attention to the things around you. Maybe just appreciate the fact that without you having done much of anything, outside is there. Outside is beautiful. And heck, you might even realize that outside is holy. That's what we got on the front burner this week. Because we now have a Patreon, which Patreon. I want to encourage each and every one of y'all to, to visit at uh, patreon.com slash three black men. Uh, think through it, pray through it, 
ask God <laughs> if, if he would have you partake in this work that we're doing because on top of some bonus content here we have uh, some blog pieces going up there's going to be some devotional content coming out and I want to encourage you guys um, to visit that Patreon patreon.com slash three black men go watch and, um, my kids ruin my videos go ahead watch, watch them. <laughs> them them babies ain't want nothing man matter of fact there's, there's more people going to sign up to, to see them babies how about that bro <laughs>